Yeah, no longer neighbors, hosted by Chris and Aaron. Used to live next door, Dallas, Texas, representing. But then Aaron moved away. Yeah, that's the situation. So join the podcast, get in on the conversation. Yeah, yeah, authentic, real friends, I admit it. Still keeping the connection, it don't matter about the distance. You don't have to wait up, I'ma tell you straight up. Entertaining for sure, this is no longer neighbors. Yeah. Well, we can finally tape a post-election day episode of No Longer Neighbors. We are talking right now just past noon central on Saturday as the election has been called by all of the major news networks. Joe Biden is the president-elect. Chris Mikoski and Aaron Aruda here with you. And Aaron, uh, when, when did you first hear that the election had finally been called? I, we were watching CNN at my house and finally heard the breaking news alert. And um, that's how we found out this long nightmare. Well, it's not even close to over, I guess. <laughs> but at least there's some a little bit of clarity. Yeah, I we were, we were actually, or I was doing the same thing. I was doing some things around the house, but I had CNN on in the background as I have had multiple news networks on in the background for now the last five days. Mm -hmm. And I think somebody on Twitter called um, this week the longest year of our lives <laughs> because it, it was endless. Um, Judging but on everything to... else this year, I don't know if I could really call it that. I mean, but it just <laughs> seems like it seems like the norm at yeah. this point. This was the fitting election for 2020, obviously, the election that never ends. But I was bouncing around all week. So I tried to watch a good amount of Fox so I yep. could see kind of that perspective. Same here. Um, I watched a lot of CNN though, and then bits of MSNBC and ABC as well. Um, I had set up my YouTube streaming TV that I have right now, the YouTube TV service to where you can put all of your favorites together. So I could like literally flick channels old school, like flick yeah. between CNN and um, MSNBC and Fox. And I will say, before we get into the actual election, I thought everyone across the board did pretty good in their election coverage. I know that some people will push back on, back on Fox and some people on the other side will push back on CNN or MSNBC. Pundits are going to be pundits, right? So obviously, when you have certain people in their lineup that are pundits, um, coverage leans more left or more right. But as far as the news people go and the people actually reading results on the election, I was very impressed across the board, even on Fox. Yeah, I agree with you. And I was I was doing a lot of flipping uh, after the breaking news on CNN, probably not more than 15, 20 seconds passed to where I flipped over to Fox News to see if they had called it yet. And at the time, they had said they, their decision desk was not comfortable at this point calling it. They were acknowledging that all of the other uh, networks and also the Associated Press had uh, called the election, said that Joe Biden had gone over the 270 count, but uh, they weren't quite to that point yet. They did get there, obviously, this morning. And now, um, outside of OAN and Newsmax, uh, all of the different news outlets have, have said that Biden will be the next president of the United States. Um, 
I don't, I'm like you, I, I'm on YouTube TV, so I don't get OAN. I was curious to, to flip over and see what the uh, reaction was. Now, somebody did post a screen cap. They're just in some random um, Wall Street show at this point and haven't even broke in uh, with anything. So interesting. Just- I mean, I think all the networks, like I said, did a good job. The one kind of controversial thing from a network perspective that got a lot of press was Fox calling Arizona early on mm-hmm. the night of. And they kind of got saved, obviously, because, you know, Arizona did end up going for Biden, I think, now, or even though the count's still out, it's it's very much favoring. I think there are um, some who Biden. still haven't called Arizona. Yeah. I, did, I see uh, Nevada did get called this morning as well. So put uh, Biden even further over that 270. So, yeah, I, I, I'm glad I was able to bounce around and see all the different coverage. I like you know, we talked about so many times on this show, you and I are independent. We are men without a party. Um, whereas, you know, on my way home from work yesterday, I flipped on WBAP, uh, which if you're not in Dallas, Fort Worth, that's big news talk station. But like you talked about with pundits, they have, it's essentially the Dallas Fort Worth talk radio version of Fox News Channel. And I'm flipping it on like, you know, I'm just I'm wondering if all this is just a Fox News thing that, you know, with everybody just repeating what President Trump is saying and echoing that it's it's bled over into talk radio. And it's I I listen for probably about five minutes and they're taking calls and it's just the big echo chamber and people saying, oh, yeah, they stole this from us. It's it's obviously all, you know, so many fraudulent ballots like, you know, given the fact that President Trump for months has been set, has been saying that this was going to be a fraud, um, saying that mail-in ballots are not going to be legitimate, that is really impressive that the Democratic Party could pull off this grand scale of a scheme, even with that spotlight on it. You know, they they weren't able to go into under the radar. It was out in the open that they are going to pull this off, yet they were still able to do it. That's just it's amazing the the amount of work they were able to put in in secret. Well, and anyone who was watching could have figured out what was going to happen here. So President Trump had a huge lead on election night in a lot of states, including Pennsylvania. And then the mail-in ballots started being counted because in most states, they couldn't be counted till election day and they couldn't be counted even until after the the day of votes were counted or they didn't have time to start them. Yeah, in, so, some, in some cases, they were able to start election day morning. In yes, other cases, yes. like you said, they had to wait until the polls closed completely. I think that's going to be rectified before the next general election. But nonetheless, assume, it was yeah. the case here, yes. But- you know, President Trump seemed to be surprised when his lead started to dwindle because of mail-in ballots. And it's just like, there's been all these memes on the internet about like, wait, so you told your followers to vote in person and not vote by mail, and that's what they did. And so you're shocked that all the mail-in ballots are from the opposing party, which was pushing mail-in voting to get turnout up. I mean, it's just logical. Now, you know, I can don't under- dare use logic. Yeah, Aaron. don't dare use logic. I can, <laughs> I can understand 
that based on past elections, this could be hard for some people to comprehend, right? Because we've never had, I think the final total will be somewhere over 60 or between 60 and 70 million mail-in ballots nationally. I think I've heard that number, don't quote me on it, but we've never had that before, right? So Pennsylvania having to count millions of mail-in ballots, I could understand why that might be odd for somebody, but we were prepared for this. And from before the election, people said, we're probably not going to know the verdict the day of. Right. No. And that was, you know, it's all, it's all part of part and parcel for what uh, president Trump's MO is. It, it was the same, the same thing with the news media. He makes them look like that will they everything they do is fraudulent. So people won't believe it when a bad story comes out, same with this made it look to his followers, like it was going to be fraudulent ahead of the fact. So he could do exactly what he's doing right now. And as all of this is going on, I'm, I've got CNN up on my phone right now. Um, and, you know, the celebrations are spilling out into the street, the streets in so many American cities and a lot of protests in those same cities and others. So you'll have people out in the street for both sides tonight. And, you know, obviously hope that it's all peaceful, hope that we don't have any trouble. President Trump certainly has the ability to fan the flames as these days continue. And, you know, this evening will be a test of that after he gets done with right now he's playing golf. So after yeah. he gets after he gets done with his 18, by the way, I really I, I texted my brother this this morning. I would love to know what he shoots today. Because the game of golf, yeah. the most difficult real estate, the most important real estate in the game of golf is the six inches between your ears. So sure. you have all this going on. How in the world do you play well? I, this might be the worst score he's put up during his time in office. I would love to know what he shoots. But I of course, they, they never release uh, that information. Uh, we'll get if, back. If you if you've read Rick Riley's book, you know that he is a uh, a regular cheater at the game of golf. So, uh, <laughs> and he might be adding uh, taking some strokes away out there today in Virginia too. But yeah, I I really hope that somehow he finds a way to be conciliatory and finally admit defeat. But you just got to feel you right now have the feeling this is going to drag out until Election Day. And will he be physically brought out of the White House? What's your prediction on that? Will he have to be actually removed forcibly? Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about that from the news media and people talking to his advisors. Most people seem to say they don't think anybody wants the optics, including the president of himself being you know, physically pulled out of the White House. But the idea that he is going to contest this until Election Day and possibly even after or until Inauguration, election, day. inauguration yeah. day mm -hmm. and possibly after it's absolutely going to happen. I mean, if you look at his tweet this morning that started the day, Trump tweeted before the, the you know, the decision for Joe Biden that um, the network's calling it. I won this election by a lot. Yep. And then immediately after the, the media called it for Joe Biden, he had a three-page statement ready. Some of the highlights that I pulled out of that letter, um, Joe Biden is falsely rushing 
to falsely pose as the winner, and this election is far from over. Another quote, legal votes decide who is the winner, not the news media. So the president, if you kind of summarize this letter, uh, three pages, is saying that he's going to fight starting this Monday with his lawyers, and they've already started, honestly, filing things in, in several courts across the country. Yeah. Um, not conceding, but actually beefing up his legal team to get ready for this fight. Yeah, and as of yet, I they haven't seemed to present any credible evidence towards all this. Some of the off-the-wall strategies, though, obviously, you know, scare me, and you, you got to hope that everybody eventually says that, no, this is just not really possible. Can he really get that many people on his side? But like saying that state legislatures can use their ability to determine the electoral votes as opposed to the will of the people. Um, Republican held legislatures in certain states, like, you know, we can determine what the actual result is and we'll determine who our electors are. Yeah, and it's up to Republicans to kind of repudiate some of these things. It's also mm -hmm. been a discussion over the last couple of days is who's going to go along with President Trump's fantasy here that there is some mass conspiracy and that we need to be standing up and, and you know, kind of protesting this. And really, there's not too many people who've been by his side. I think we did end up seeing a statement from Lindsey Graham I think we saw a statement from Matt Gates in Florida. Yeah. And, uh, and our course, Senator Ted Cruz. And our, yeah, Ted Cruz. Um, of course, Rudy Giuliani is his personal, one of his personal attorneys by his side fighting these things. But by and large, I think that the, the Republican leadership has been quiet. And folks like Nikki Haley got even flack for congratulating President Trump on his four years kind of like she was trying to turn the page. And, you know, I think Donald Trump Jr. said she's just basically prepping herself for her run in 2024. And so I thought that was an interesting reaction. But as President Trump mounts these legal battles, I'm interested to see where Republican leadership is going to fall on this. And we'll talk about this in a future episode. This is something I've actually gone back and forth with uh, my stepdad for a good long time leading up to this election, that he was under the impression and just had the belief that if Trump loses, leaves the White House, that we would just not hear from him anymore, that he would go away silently into that good night. Sure. I don't think so. I, I think he's holding rallies. I think he is packing stadiums, uh, you know, the media empire that he might create is another thing, but, you know, I, I think he's going to run again in four years and that's, he's going to find a way to stay out. And now the question is, will legitimate media cover him during these rallies over the next few years? I hope not. Uh, at some point, you just got to deem that it's not newsworthy anymore. But that's that's for a later discussion. Uh, still a lot to be played out. We will obviously, you know, we're sporadic in our episodes right now, but we will eventually get there on uh, the next steps when electors report and uh, leading up to Inauguration Day.
Yeah, there was a couple other things I wanted to cover just about kind of the historic nature of this election. Number one, we saw more votes than we've ever seen in the history of presidential elections. So um, Joe Biden now will be the most voted for president ever. But Donald Trump coming in second place will have the second most votes ever of any candidate. So it tells you turnout was just absolutely at kind of a max for this election, even though we'll probably see there's still maybe around 60 million eligible adults who didn't vote. I think that's a rough estimate. So, you know, still not everyone's voting, but um, that's historic. The second thing is the closeness of many of these states. Um, I guess we'll wait in historical context to see if it really is, but things like Georgia flipping. And so, you know, the South has always been the bastion of the Republican Party since kind of the party switch, if you will, um, for the last few decades. And so to see Georgia um, just absolutely, you know, kind of come from, I don't say come from behind, but once all the votes were counted, clearly now, um, it's probably going to be like the the closest race in a state that we've seen in a long time. I mean, we're talking about two or three thousand votes, four thousand votes. We'll see what the the final tally is. But just the fact that that President Biden or President elect Biden looks like he's going to win Georgia is an amazing kind of historical thing. Now you've got to kick the Georgia Bulldogs out of the SEC. <laughs> they don't they don't belong anymore. They're not part of the they're not really part of the deep south anymore, are they? Yeah, I mean it, it's it's not even a borderline state like Virginia, right? So Georgia is obviously a southern state. So I would like to see like I said historically if that that holds. So if, you know, 4 years from now, 8 years from now, Georgia comes back in the red column, is this just an effect of President Trump so many people being motivated to vote against him? Or is it a fact that Georgia is really turning blue? And obviously, we look at the top of the ticket, but we need to do mention the historic nature of the vice president elect and Kamala Harris in that spot. Um, something one of our most loyal listeners is very happy about, my mom. <laughs> uh, first woman VP her heritage, her education, all things that uh, are first timers uh, for one of the highest offices in the land and one heartbeat away from the presidency. Yeah, one thing I'm learning to appreciate as I get older and also hopefully a little bit wiser and as you and I have, you know, maybe moderated a bit in our political views and tried to get some input from people of all sides is it's easy for someone to dismiss this um, who has always had the ability to be in power or always, you know, kind of been, um, I mean, I hate to say it, but uh, a white male in, in the United States. A blonde haired, blue eyed guy yeah. from Dallas, Fort Worth, son of a doctor, that kind of guy, like that me. That kind of guy, <laughs> like you, Chris. Um, the, the jury's still out on, on, you know, me and whether I'm really a white guy based on my ethnicity. <laughs> but the point is, is that, um, you know, there are a lot of people who look to examples and say, can I ever really achieve that? And if they don't have role models and people that have achieved that, it's really difficult. 
um, to kind of envision that. And it, it, it really goes to their core. And so for many years, um, that was the case in the African-American community until we had President Obama. And for, for you know, just as long it's been the case, or actually, I guess, a little bit longer now, because this is our first female vice president in, um, among women. And until we see the first actual woman president, I think that this is a step in the right direction. But, you know, as someone who is the father of girls, it is, in his, it is a historic moment to see, you know, that they can actually do things that they've been told they can do, but they've never really had that model. And so it's a huge day, absolutely huge day. I'll let you get into uh, introduction of our guest today, Marisa Williams, who uh, is one of your neighbors. We are no longer neighbors, but she is one of your current neighbors. Uh, one last thing on the news coverage before I let you start that. Some good news now that we've reached about 1225 here Central Time, the ABC has ended its coverage, its breaking news coverage of uh, the election result and switched back to Texas Longhorns football. So everybody around here who is missing on their Longhorns and complaining, like, I don't care about politics, foot, put football back on. <laughs> now now they, they get their game. So, uh, but, yeah. uh, but Marisa Williams, really, uh, really interesting conversation. Um, and uh, I'll tee it up for you. So I wanted to give some background on why I wanted to interview someone who had moved here from California to Texas, where Chris and I are at. I still have this idea that everyone is interesting and has a story to tell and that we tend to gravitate maybe towards celebrities or you know, special guests. But over the last 12 years, for those of us who live in North Texas, there has been a massive change. And you've seen this change in some of our elections because we have had over 700,000 people move here from California since 2008. And Dallas-Fort Worth has taken a large influx of that, but also in Austin and also in Houston. I read an article the other day, which I haven't verified, but it said something like Houston, Texas is now the most diverse city in the United States. I think that's been the case for a while. Yeah. And so, you know, things have really changed in Texas. There's political, cultural, social ramifications. But I wanted to see what it was like to talk to somebody that's a neighbor of mine that had made that switch. And so um, Marisa was gracious enough to talk to us and just you know, tell us what it's like making a transition from the largest state in the country to the second largest state in the country, but states that are by most terms dramatically different. And so I think it was a great conversation just getting a little bit inside of her head and uh, trying to understand what that was like. Marisa, thanks for joining us. And uh, as the title would uh, have you believe, uh, Aaron and I are no longer neighbors, but you actually now live in the same neighborhood as Aaron. So uh, first of all, let's just start off. Why in the first place did you move from California to Texas? Oh, well, it was a God thing for sure. Um, about eight years ago, my husband started talking about moving to Texas. He had taken a work trip and just fell in love with Dallas and wouldn't stop talking about it. And you have to understand everybody 
that mattered to us lived in California. And uh, the, oh, let's see, my parents were 20 minutes away. His parents were maybe 30 or 40 minutes away. I had both of my sisters-in-laws in, in driving distance. I mean, it was perfect. I had amazing friends. Um, I had just taken a year off from teaching so that I could spend a year with our son. I just, I had everybody there. And so I just kind of laughed like, okay, sure. We're going to move to Texas. <laughs> like that's going to happen. I have a job. I know I'm on break, but I still have a job. And so do you. And that's crazy. And uh, for two years, he kept talking about it. And I just kept saying, come on, we can't leave. Look at, look at how attached our child is to all the grandparents. Right. And then doors started closing and weird ones started opening. Um, he reached out to his immediate supervisor and just randomly said, Hey, any chance I could work remotely? Do you care if I moved to Dallas? And the next day she responded, sure. Go ahead. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so you thinking. were in, you were both in California all your lives until then. Yeah. Born wow. and raised. I'm pretty sure we were born in the same hospital. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. What part of yeah. California? Uh, so we're, we're from Northern California. Okay. So the Sacramento area. Um, and we were high school sweethearts. So um, known each other almost forever. And uh, so, yeah, when his supervisor said, go ahead, I just remember thinking, oh, no, this is good. <laughs> You've got to oh, be yeah. kidding me. And uh, things just started to fall into place. I remember going to my school district and asking for another year off. <laughs> they, they told okay. me, no, sorry. And so I said, okay, then I'm resigning. And, um, you know, things are, are very expensive in California. And it was very difficult for us. I think um, the home that we were renting at the time was probably 1,200 square feet. And we were barely making it. Um, mm. But we made it with one income for two years. And it was huge that we were able to do that because I never dreamed um, that I would ever have the opportunity to resign and actually raise my own child. Yeah. Um, so it's big. And uh, then uh, just friendships got weird, especially as I would, you know, sort of bring it up. Hey, Kevin wants to, <laughs> to Texas. And um, some people took it personally. Like, why would you ever leave here? And why Texas, right? Lots of, yeah. lots of different opinions. And of course, our families um, were very respectful and very loving, but um, they weren't too happy to see us leave either. It, it got really weird. And then everything leading to Texas was just easy, if that makes sense. Um, we made two flights out just to make sure we came out in the summer and we came out in the winter just to make sure that we could handle it. Um, and it was amazing. We came out for 4th of July and it was like 90 degrees barely any humidity that year. It was a really weird year. Yeah, it was like actually it. hotter in Sacramento <laughs> that year. And so we were like, we got this. This is going to be easy. Um, but it was amazing because once we got here, um, uh, we realized that it's, uh, I graduated from a really small school. There were probably 96 um, girls in my class. It was an all-girl high school. And one of them lived about a mile away from where we ended up moving. Oh, wow. And so she was there basically the first day when we moved in uh, with the fire ant killer 
that you need to have when you move to Texas. <laughs> yeah. Hugs. And it was just, it was just amazing. As soon as we got here, we realized that uh, this was the place to be for us. So what was the process of like, obviously you were moving to an area you did say you knew I guess at least one person here but what was the process of narrowing down because I have never lived in California but when I'm I did move from out of state and so I had to narrow down where you're going to live and that's really difficult so how did you go about choosing McKinney in the process of the Metroplex now that's a good question I think it was mostly my husband um he is very good with data so he writes reports. And so what I think he did was um, a lot of research and just figured yeah. out, you know, looked for the, all the things to kind of align as far as affordability and um, school districts and, you know, all the good stuff. I'm sure some of my favorite grocery stores okay. were probably in there. Factor, yeah. I'm opinionated about our food. <laughs> it's good. It's good. I like that answer. Yeah. Um, so you talked a little bit about your housing situation in California, right? And we've, as Texans, heard a lot about the California housing market and the people moving here and what's that like. So um, we talked about picking McKinney, but just in general, what was it like shopping for a house in Texas coming from California? Well, okay, you've heard the horror stories of the people buying houses when they shouldn't have for yeah. no money down. Yeah, that was us. So we went through all of it. Um, in the process of trying to figure out how we were gonna get out from into this mortgage we should have never signed into, um, I got pink slipped and um, my husband got laid off. Wow. Luckily, we didn't have any children yet. <laughs> so um, it was just us and a house that we couldn't afford. Um, and so, you know, you figure stuff out and you get out from under the house and you start over. And so we rented for a really long time. So when, um, uh, Kev actually came out for two days to find us a house and we rented in Little Elm for a long time and just saved up because we were bound and determined we were not going to make that same mistake again. And we were actually going to buy a house appropriately <laughs> and we were going to someday pay the thing off. Um, so I'd like to say we learned our lesson. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, one thing, and you know, we're we're taping this on a Monday night. Uh, election day is tomorrow, uh, but the the episode that people actually hear it for the first time either on Wednesday or Thursday. So, just this is not to say anything about the result or anything. But when you get these mailers, being a cap somebody who lived in California all your life, you move to Texas, and I just this past week got in my mail a thing talking about don't let these people turn Texas into California as somebody who lived there all your life. You're seeing this and wow, there, that's not very nice. <laughs> how are you, how do you take that when, when, uh, when you see that California bashing come, come across? So it wasn't too long. First of all, when we moved here, we had an agreement. It was a one-year trial. And if it didn't work, my husband agreed. See, he's awesome that we would go somewhere else. He didn't want to go back, but he agreed we would go somewhere else. Yeah. And gosh, I don't even think we were here for two months before he said, you know, this is the right place for us. And I said, oh, absolutely. I don't want to move. And he was like, all right, cool. So I think, I think that there's just so many different personalities coming from California. There's 
um, a wide variety of personalities already in Texas. And so sometimes it's just a perfect mesh. I have not met a Texan yet. Um, I just haven't fallen in love with immediately. Um, and they seem to like me okay too. Um, but I'm maybe a little bit unusual in that um, the California that you see on the news and that you hear about is not the California that I grew up in. Um, it's very different. And I know I shared briefly with Aaron before we started recording, um, people are fleeing. And when we came out, you know, like you were saying, yes, a lot of people are coming out, but maybe it was for jobs. Maybe it was for opportunity. Maybe it was cost of living, right? Or maybe it was just all of it. Uh, maybe they had family. We didn't have any family, um, but they're coming. So uh, my in-laws are moving next week. They're gonna be moving in with us. Their home is going to be done the following week. That's where I was all day today, is making sure that the house is, is uh, coming along and it's amazing, it's gonna be awesome. So um, fleeing is probably the best word. And I have so many friends that want to come as well. They're working on it. Um, it's rough. I don't, I don't wanna go back and visit right now. <laughs> We've seen some pretty high profile people move from California in the podcasting industry. You have Joe Rogan, who just recently moved to Austin. Yeah. There are a lot of folks um, that have talked about moving to Texas. We've seen huge, massive businesses like Toyota, which was the huge influx, right? So, you know, thousands of people that move from Southern California to Dallas because of that uh, relocation to Plano, actually. But you, you kind of said that people here, you've hit it off with, I want to know, were, were people with the whole like Southern hospitality thing pretty welcoming to you? And did you get any, you know, negative pushback being from California? And also, have you met a lot of fellow Californians yet while you've been here that have also made that move? Yeah, yeah. So as far as people being negative, honestly, no. But I got to say, it's, I probably help them by um, making them feel more comfortable by saying things like, we're really happy to be here. We're so appreciative. Um, you know, I don't know where we would be without it. I can't imagine raising my family anywhere else. Um, you know, this, this area is just so family friendly. Um, and, or I'll say, you know, we moved here for personal freedoms, right? And so I think that that helps put people at ease. Um, as far as people saying, don't California the state, hey man, I get it. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> what yeah. am I going to say? Oh no, there's so many terrific things <laughs> right That's now. It, it's hard to see that. Right. And, and yeah. I hope that a lot of wonderful things, um, happen in California and that, um, you know, the economy gets a, gets a boost and, um, things become more affordable and whatnot. I don't know when that's going to happen. What is the um, what's the biggest difference that you've noticed? I mean, we kind of, you know, skirt around political differences and things like that, cost of living differences. But what is the biggest like noticeable difference, if you will, in day to day life in Texas versus California? I'm gonna say all of it. So I went all ahead. I got just a few numbers for you because okay, I, I I didn't want to go too crazy, but I went ahead and texted a few folks back home just to get you guys gas. Cause that's the big one. Really? Um, first of all, when you move to Texas, um, you're amazed by how, at least I was amazed by how big the parking spots are. 
and how big the vehicles are. Yeah. And uh, we moved with one itty bitty, um, you know, compact car. And immediately my husband started talking about getting an SUV. And I was like, what? I can't drive an SUV. <laughs> I, have, I have nothing to put in it, right? That's crazy. I'm fine with this little car. And we just shared the car for a while. And then we had another child and then we got a massive dog and love my SUV. Um, so let me see if I can find the cause. So last Friday, I got gas for 165 a gallon and my mother-in-law got it in Northern California for $3 and 24 cents a gallon. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then we were just laughing about car registration. Um, I think I'm paying around $70 this year. And if you go ahead and add on the little inspection I had to do, which is what, like 25, I'm doing all right. $400 for her wow. car. And it is a car. It is not an SUV. Yeah. Didn't That's realize nice. that. Part. I, mean, I didn't think about all those little, you know, things that are going to yeah. add up like crazy. I mean, I, I was up for a job in San Francisco about two years ago and pretty far down the line with it. And we were just kind of looking around like how in the world do people afford to live here? Like, like the salary they were offering was going would have been great here, but there we would have been way below the poverty line. It I just, it's 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 incredible. Um, now, I want to ask you a couple things. Let's start with uh, with food and you know the comparison. You know, a lot of people talk about Tex-Mex here versus Mexican food out California way. Have you adjusted to the te Have you adjusted to Tex-Mex? Okay, so I'm another one that I. Oh, I don't know. I love good food, but I don't think my taste buds are refined enough to really appreciate anything um, other than good food. So um, there was a really fantastic considered like genuinely like Mexican um, restaurant called Adalberto's. And uh, so that was kind of the go-to and yes, totally loved it, particularly when I was pregnant. Um, but as far as you know, not being okay with Tex-Mex or getting used to it. Honestly, I don't know. Like, I just like good food. So again, <laughs> I should probably get someone who is truly an expert on no. the different cuisines. <laughs> no, so. if you if you can't, if you just if you like, I'm kind of the same way, really. It's and you know, people compare barbecue everywhere, and like, I only like Carolina barbecue versus Texas, whatever. Like, I like all of it. It's you know, I'm, I can appreciate uh, wherever I am, just like I can appreciate. Uh, the Mexican food out in California, just, you know, I prefer Tex-Mex down here. Uh, and the other thing, you know, I'm, I don't know if Aaron told you my background, but I work in, uh, in sports. So have you, I don't know how much your fan allegiances are over there. Kings, 49ers, Giants have, are you adjusting to uh, Mavericks, Cowboys, uh, Rangers? <laughs> okay. So here's another example where, I'm just not really into any of it and okay, I feel guilty well. <laughs> because I'm in Texas and it's like a thing. And you've been to be a high school football it. game yet. I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta at least even, even just for the cultural experience, you okay. need to go take right. in a real Texas high school football game. All right. I'll, I'll have to um, work. Maybe not me. this year. Maybe not in the COVID season. Maybe You'll <laughs> next, have to let us next fall. Chris will host you. He's, he's on the sidelines. It. Yeah, I Sounds do. Right. I'm the sideline reporter for the DFW game of the week on channel 33. So uh, oh. we're at the biggest game every week. So yeah, next fall, 
get back in touch and uh, we'll get okay. you out to uh, one of the, you know, multi-million dollar stadiums that we have here for high school football. <laughs> when yeah, it's packed, so that, you gotta take yeah, that it part is entertaining, but I don't think that's a thing where I am from. I'm pretty sure it's not. You got good I, high school football in California, but it's not, you just, you just don't go nuts for it like we do here. No. And you have to understand going to an all girl, you know, high right. school. A little di- Does your husband yeah. root for any of the, the, uh, the California teams? Does that cause any comfort or are you just discomfort or are you just not sports people at all? Oh no, he's into it, but I don't want to say his allegiance is changing. That could cause trouble. Okay. I think, I think he just very much appreciates good players. Yeah. Now it, it's one of those things where it's kind of like the older you get, the more you're starting to appreciate skill yeah. and um, maybe a little bit less loyal just because you grew up in a certain area, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, if he ap- appreciates good players, he's not watching the Cowboys. I can tell you that. Oh, it's oh, been absolutely oh a horrible season, but the even stars if, did if have you're a not a sports run. fan, you're at least hearing about how terrible the Cowboys are. You can't yeah. avoid that around here. It's, it's oh, horrible. So California, we've talked, we've talked how great Texas is, but I've spent a decent amount of time in California um, for personal travel, for work travel. I love Northern California being into technology that I'm in. If I could do my life all over, I would be very tempted to move to Silicon Valley, though I would probably be living in a cardboard box because, you know, um, apartments in Palo Alto don't come cheap. Right. So, uh, but that being said, there's a lot to like about California. And it is sad. I mean, I think anybody objectively would say it's sad, you know, some of the things that have happened there lately and, and that so many people are leaving. There has to be something other than, of course, being around your family that you miss about the state. She, if you could see the look on her face, this, yeah. is a, this is an audio medium, and I'm looking at Marisa's right. face, and she is trying so as I'll, hard as she can. To I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to give you an answer, but I will say, when you said your husband came to Texas, and he was like really impressed with North Texas, I was like, well, he wasn't looking at the scenery, because, you know, like, us to Northern California is like, well, I, my friends that come from California, I'm like, you know, we'll show you a bunch of new buildings, you know, like restaurant, like great construction, you know, but it's not pretty. It's not pretty here. So you have to at least somewhat miss the nature and like beauty and majesty of like driving down the coast in California. Okay. We lived two hours from San Francisco and probably an hour, maybe 45 minutes, depending on the traffic from Tahoe. Yeah. And uh, so that was something we had talked about and yeah. then we realized we hadn't been to either places for like five years, uh, except to visit family. It wasn't for fun. And it was, uh, well, the family was fun, but the, it wasn't like we were going to San Francisco to, I don't know, do touristy things or something like that. Sure. And so it was one of those things where it was like, well, again, we grew up here. So we've been lots. Um, so maybe we're going to be okay without it. And uh, we did recently take a drive through, well, recently, I guess it was almost a year ago. That's sad. What a year, huh, guys? Um, But we did go to uh, Breckenridge, Colorado, and that was beautiful. That was really fun for me. But honestly, yes, a lot of my California friends uh, miss the mountains. They miss, um, you know, maybe the ocean or, or the weather, right? But 
Uh, so there's so many other things that you might not necessarily think about. Uh, the fires, the fires are really horrible. I think most people think in terms of um, earthquakes as being a big issue in California and sure, you know, there's some, some famous ones that um, have definitely gotten um, a lot of uh, publicity, but most of the time you get a bunch of earthquakes and you sleep through them or it, they're not a big deal, right? But the fires, holy guacamole, it's constant. And from yeah. a teacher standpoint, it was really hard because in California, um, electricity is very expensive and it's very hard for a homeowner, at least it was hard for us, to keep your house cool enough or warm enough to be comfortable. And so you can imagine what it's like for the school districts. And I taught in a portable. And so one of the things that we would often do is try to be outside as much as possible, right? Um, just to be comfortable. And all it takes is a little fire, <laughs> never a little, to just run the air. Um, particularly in the valley, because if you, if you think of California and if you learn about some of the regions, it's kind of like a long oval, um, like almost like a salad bowl kind of thing. And then um, the valley is deep enough to capture a lot of the pollution and smog. Um, and then the mountains kind of pocket it in. And so when you're looking at uh, working at some place in some place like Sacramento, uh, the breathing isn't very pleasant. You know, everyone hears about LA, but it's not very fun in other places as well. Um, and I lived up in the foothills. And so every day we would drive down into it and you could see it. You could see the smog line. And so, yeah, there's, there's some beautiful things there. There's the ocean, there's, you know, beautiful, big, huge monstrous trees and um, mountains. And there's, you know, it's a quick drive to the snow, depending on where you live, quick drive to the ocean or wine country. But then there's all the other parts. And, um, you know, you kind of got to take everything as it is. I remember one time flying in and they have live oaks um, in the valley, just like we have here. And I just remember as we were landing at the uh, Sacramento airport, looking outside the window and thinking, oh, that's the difference. It's not green in the summer. It's very dry. And the trees were dusty. <laughs> like I'm thinking, well, they're a funny color. Yeah, they were covered with dust, they were dirty. And yet you come to Texas in the summer and everything's green and blooming and yet it's hot. But it's, to me, it's beautiful. So it's, it's very different, I guess. I guess I've just grown to appreciate um, what we have here. I love that you're just, it, it seems like you're just 100% not a regret at all. And, uh, you know, as a native Texan, you know, Aaron, I'm the only native Texan here. I'm the only one who's been here all of pretty much all of my life. I did move away for a while because of college and work, but uh, couldn't stay away. And I, I'm glad that you appreciate everything we have here. I, I love it. I, I love everything I'm hearing. Um, but I guess, you know, we're, we're nearing the end of our time. Just you've been here a few years now. Do you have a, maybe a top two or three things you can, you can repeat some if you'd like that you love most? <laughs> about the decision about where you are now. Okay, I love it because I'm, I feel really positive that this is where we're supposed to be. Um, 
I, I joke that I just couldn't hear God as well because <laughs> I resisted. My cousin or my my husband clearly did. Um, it's just been such a joy to raise our family here and to um, get to provide so many of the different opportunities here that I just don't think we could have there. Um, I, we call ourselves accidental homeschoolers. I wasn't planning on homeschooling. I thought that we are here, now too. Yeah. Oh man, it's it's something, right? So. I fully intended to teach and my kiddos would go to the same school. And when their classes were done, they'd skip over to my classroom and I'd finish up what I was doing and we'd all go home together. Um, and it just didn't work out that way. It just, it was terrific school district. I was perfectly pleased with the school. I ended up subbing there for a little while, but it just wasn't a good fit for my kid. And we sort of fell into homeschooling because we were looking for a school that have, that offered um, more than one recess a day. And I couldn't find it. So um, we ended up trying it out and loving it. Um, we joined a homeschool group for a while. This year we went ahead and opted out. I felt like I could do it on my own and I just didn't want to deal with the hassle of all, all of it this year. Um, and now we have a second little guy um, and so we're doing preschool with him. And the thing is, is I think we were in Texas about three months before Kevin looked at me and said, Hey, babe, you want to know how much is in our savings? And I'm pretty sure I dropped the plate I was carrying. So what do you mean savings? <laughs> so I'm trying not to tear up right now, but you guys, it was yeah. huge. This yeah. move was, it wasn't life-changing. It was, it was all of it. We needed this so bad. And I know I know it's hard, you know, to, to have change, especially when your cities are growing and um, you have a lot of new people coming, but this family is just so grateful and so appreciative that we have the chance to live here. Well, beyond everything else, Marisa, the, the fact that God is moving in your life and you can t clearly tell that he was at the center of all this, um, just so awesome. You know, we, we need to still, we need to get you a high school football game. We need yeah. to get you to uh, the Fort Worth rodeo next year. It's been canceled for, it's been canceled for uh, 2021, but 2022 we'll get you over to the Fort Worth rodeo, Sounds great. Uh, you know, indoctrinate you a little bit more, but, uh, but you're doing, you're doing well so far. Oh, sounds great. Sounds great. Yeah. I, I uh, was a head instructor of uh, horseback riding at my college. So I'm happy to partake in a rodeo. Sounds great. Yeah, your comments uh, definitely hit home as someone who came to Texas later in life as well. And uh, I lived on the East Coast, which is a different, you know, vibe than obviously the West Coast, but um, was happy to make it to Texas as soon as I could. And as, you know, a wife and a mother, you can see that your, um, you're very happy with the decisions that you made. And I really put it down to, I want to say quality of life. So we've all heard that phrase before. And, you know, especially when I was younger, I was very enamored with California. In fact, I wanted to move there when my wife and I were first married. And similar to Chris's evaluations, we could not afford to move where I wanted to move. There was, it was just not financially possible. But living in Texas, I've come to appreciate the quality of life, because I used to think that was good weather. And that was, you know, beautiful scenery. 
And I think as I'm now a dad and have two kids, um, not that, you know, possessions are everything by any means either, but having a house that's big enough for us to live in and not have to scrimp to pay a mortgage, um, being able to drive an SUV, not just because it's cool, but because, you know, you want to and you want the freedom to do that. And, you know, because you have kids and stuff and um, all of those little things have taught me that maybe my quality of life when I was younger, it's a different definition uh, than, you know, when you're in your 30s and you've kind of learned some stuff. So I love to see that story of how you guys have, you know, you kind of come into that your own and your own story. And we're happy to have you in Texas. So I will say, and I'm going to wrap with this. I am the picky one. So Chris was, he was kind of snubbing me earlier when we talked about food because I'm the food snob of the podcast. And I will say that since all the California people have moved in, our food choices have gotten much broader here. So I will not say better necessarily in the sense that like, Texas is always going to be known for great barbecue and Tex-Mex, but like you can actually find Asian food now, like five different types. When I moved here, it was like Panda Express or you're out, you know? So, right. um, You know, that's interesting. You bring that up because I feel like I was more critical of Asian food, probably because of my whole college experience than I ever was about Mexican or Tex-Mex or anything like I don't know. It all tasted pretty terrific to me, but, but you're right. Asian food. I am, I am pretty specific about that's interesting. We'll end it on a high note. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, we appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for having me. Well, unlike all of the other guests we have, we don't have a website to promote another podcast, a book, uh, Marisa is just a friendly neighbor, good conversation. <laughs> so we don't have to, uh, you know, go visit Marisa at this website, go listen to this podcast. Nope. Just, just a chat. And, uh, we'll do more of that going forward. And, um, I'm sure all of our neighbors have some interesting stories, but, uh, we always close our show with what we're into And I tell you, on my side, I'm celebrating a possible conversion, Aaron. We have Team iPhone and Team Android in my house. Okay. My wife is actually asking me about a new Android product and is considering a switch. She might flip the switch today. So what's been her um, driving factor in wanting to switch teams? She saw one phone, and I don't remember which one it is. I need to look it up. And you probably can tell me rough top of your head. Um, you open it up, and you basically have double the screen. It's Does a, it flip open like a right, book? Flips open like a book, and yeah. you've got a huge screen. And uh, this might be in part because she just found out she needs glasses. So... <laughs> Her eye, her eyesight's uh, going down a little bit. Like, I think I could use a big screen. And that is really cool to have that big of a screen on a phone. Yeah, it's a Samsung. Well, there, there are multiple models that have launched internationally like that. But Samsung is the one that you would find. Um, I'm just going to break it to you. The price is a little out there. I think it's okay. around two grand. For We've the been phone. doing, so we were Sprint. Uh, customers, or I guess now it's T-Mobile with a merger. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, we do the phone lease. So sure. we don't uh, pay the full price. We just have to pay that monthly fee in addition to our subscription, uh, our coverage cost. So yeah, if it's if it's way, way more than we're used to paying, uh, we'll probably put a quick uh, kibosh on that. I mean, you can do the math usually if it's, you know, two grand divided by 24 months. Um, it's still going to be some hefty payments. But the good news is the reviews for that phone are great. They, they actually, I think it's their kind of third try. It's technically the second one, but the first one had some issues. So they kind of, they canned it, but the reviews are really, really good. Sounds like Samsung did a great job with finally working out the folding mechanism. And um, I think it's the future of phones likely that we're going to see um, maybe even Apple and all other manufacturers at some point adopt a folding phone. Uh, Motorola also has a folding razor, but it doesn't really give you much more screen real estate than a normal phone. It, it looks kind of like an old Motorola razor, but. Well, I'll give you uh, the update next time, but yeah. you have uh, something that you want to talk about that's in the same ballpark. I take it just by the name that it's a way to uh, disinfect the phone. Yeah, phone, phone soap is the name of a product that you can find online many places. Um, it's a tiny little box that you put your phone into, and you can also put your wallet or your keys. There are different sizes, and it uses, I think, like ultraviolet light to disinfect your phone. So in the days of COVID, when you're like, oh man, do I have to wipe my phone down? Because we've all heard that our phones are dirtier than a toilet seat, yeah. other than a public toilet seat. Um, you know, you can just throw it in this box. So I, I got one and I keep it by the door. And so when I come in, usually, you know, while I'm changing or whatever, I just throw my phone in there. And in 10 minutes or less, your phone is like pretty much, it's like 99.999% bacteria free as, as much as any other cleaning product but you don't have to use uh, any kind of abrasive cleaning products. They do sell a larger one that is big enough now to even put your laptops in and wow. larger items, but it's about twice the cost. So eventually I'd like to get one of those. I'm not taking my laptop to the toilet though. I mean, that's, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, that's true. That's true. I think all of us, no matter how disgusting it sounds, we're all, you know, playing with our phone when we go to the bathroom. Yep. So uh, yeah, that, that kind of the phone soap is necessary. We have something similar. I don't know the name of it, but uh, same concept with the uh, with the light uh, disinfecting. And uh, you also wanted to mention your new beverage of choice. Yeah, well, last week you said every week, but last week for time's sake, we were kind of crunched on time. We actually skipped our, our last episode. We skipped the what we're into. And so double dipping today. People who know me know that I'm a big sparkling water connoisseur and that I, I know all the different brands. And I, I mean, I'm drinking a Topo Chico. Like I am with craft wine. beer, you are to sparkling water. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, this is my beverage of choice is sparkling water. And I like both the ones with flavor and without. But LaCroix came out with a new flavor, which they only do a couple times a year, I think. And this one is LaCroix Limoncello. And it's really good. It's, I don't even know. It's not lemon. All right. It's limoncello. It's like fancy. And um, it was the same thing when they came out with key lime versus lime. Huge LaCroix key lime fra um, 
fan until the limoncello i think that was probably my favorite flavor and now it's like really tight so if you haven't checked that out go to your local grocer we're not sponsored here but it's semi-life-changing we'll take your money we i'd be yeah. happy to be sponsored i, I wondered if you too controversial to have any uh, beverage sponsor this is probably true although you know i do know a guy who's opening up a brewery um Although, you know, his marketing budget probably isn't too great right now, but, and, and really they're trying to just appeal to the people of Atlanta. So our show probably would not be the best, uh, best place for them to use their, their dollars at this point. And as an investor, I would advise against it. Those are my, uh, those are my recommendations of the, of the do you, week. Do you put your fancy drink in a special glass with, uh, and put your pinky up when you, no, I, okay. I prefer things out of glass bottles, but unfortunately, LaCroix does come in cans, but I'm not super picky. The only reason I like plastic is because I, I do like plastic because it has a resealable cap. And I am one of those people who's very famous for not drinking the whole drink and then just, you know, kind of wasting it or leaving it around the house, which I know is not a good thing. So plastic wins there, but we're lazy. <laughs> All right. Well, we will have a reaction to the next steps in President Trump's legal challenges, everything leading up to the electors officially casting their votes, and Inauguration Day is not that far away. If you like college football, you can listen to my other podcast, which is called Group of Five Live. It's part of Landry Football's conference call. That's what you need to subscribe to wherever you find podcasts. Landry Football's conference call. We put out episodes every Friday previewing the weekend ahead in Group of Five college football. Aaron and I are sporadic right now with No Longer Neighbors, so just subscribe and you will get an alert as soon as we decide to put out another show, or you can follow us on Twitter at NLN Podcast. Aaron, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Chris.